Welcome to season four of Outstanding Women Leaders, Witty and Wise Conversations. I'm your host, Katie L. Eads, founder and chief owl at Outstanding Women Leaders, Owl Professional Coaching, an organization dedicated to empowering women leaders. OWL is on a mission to host 100 million witty and wise conversations that disrupt the way you think and inspire you to disrupt business as usual in your brain. That disruption begins with a set of rules to guide our conversation today. Number one, nobody gets to be wrong. Number two, nobody gets to be right. Number three, everybody gets to be vulnerable. And my personal favorite, Number four, everything is included. If your dog walks in or barks, the phone rings, it's in the podcast. We do not edit here. This conversation is exactly what it needs to be in this moment in time. We've asked our guests to join us via video to allow us to create authentic connection. Eyes are the window to the soul. You will be seen here. You will be heard. There is space for you. Mm. When this conversation comes to a close, I will ask our guests three questions. If you've tuned in before, you know what they are. And if you haven't, you don't want to miss them. But enough about me. Today, I'm excited to welcome outstanding woman leader, Jennifer Hernandez. Jennifer is an entrepreneur at heart, formerly owning a women's only fitness center, her own cleaning business for 14 years, where she discovered her passion was helping women through conversation. After the death of her mother and a large weight gain, Jennifer hired a a fitness coach, competed in a bodybuilding competition, and pursued her dream of becoming a certified empowerment coach, and is now the proud owner of Infinite Power Coaching. She works with women who feel defeated by their body image, helping them step into radical self-love and reclaim their infinite power. And I've had the pleasure of meeting this radical self-love lady here in Knoxville, where I have so much radical love for this city. Jennifer, Mm -hmm. thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm excited to share your incredible story with the world. Oh, thank you so much. It's totally my my pleasure, 100%. Very exciting. What we didn't mention in all of this amazing bio about all these cool things that you've done in your life is that you found out in your early 30s that your life wasn't what you thought it would be, was. Um, So Jennifer, I'm going to let you tell that story of of what it was like uh, to to be able to get to where you are and where you started. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was uh, 33 years old, um, there was a big, like you said, a big reveal to me. Um, I grew up from the age of 11 um, with the belief that I was a cancer survivor. Um, And um, I, for two years of my life, uh, was very sick with cancer. And um, that created who I was as a woman and as a person as I grew. Um, And when I was 33, it was revealed to me um, by a lot of different circumstances that um, my mom had faked and created this illness to get attention. So a lot of people um, have and many have not heard of Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Yeah, so bear with me because I um, honestly haven't really spoken publicly about this very much. Um, And I know now that it is definitely time for me to begin to start doing that and really share my story 
um, and it is time for it to be heard. So, yeah. so um, thank you so much for bravely mm-hmm. sharing that with us here. Yeah. Take me back to being 11 and having cancer define your life. What was mm-hmm. that like for you to be a kid that's a cancer survivor? Well, I think what stands out the most to me is how I was not um, a part of the things that a most 11 year olds would be a part of. I wasn't allowed or able to go outside and play with my neighborhood friends um, in school, I'm, or I missed a lot of school. And um, a lot of the times in school, I was weak and sick and tired. And so I had to spend a lot of time in the nurse's office. And um, there were times when we would do family activities. And uh, like one time in particular, I remember a street fair that I would, as a kid, I loved going to like street fairs and festivals. I still love that. So um, I remember going to the street fair and being so excited that we were gonna go. And um, I was so sick and I was so weak. And my dad literally had to carry me um, through this event, through the whole festival. And I, I was so, I was so sick and I was so tired. So I have a lot of memories like that. And that, in that two year span, um, also being concerned, you know, at losing my hair at age 11, um, I would get in the shower and my hair would fall out into the shower. And that, um, at age 11 can be incredibly confusing and scary, especially yeah. as you're coming into your young preteen years and you're just starting to get to that point where you really care about how you look and you're worried about how everybody else sees you at that age. So, um, yeah, those, those are the big things that were impactful. Yeah. And so you're a kid and Munchausen by proxy means that your mom was poisoning you. Did you have doctor's appointments? Like what happens to cause your hair to fall out? Were you receiving radiation or chemo? Well, the honest, the, the thing is, is that I will probably never know everything that I was given. Um, But yes, she was, she was definitely poisoning me. Um, She gave me very large doses of antihistamine. Um, and this supposedly, this pill that she gave me very regularly was my pill form chemotherapy. And so that was the story that I was told. Um, so the, the antihistamine kept me tired and weak. Um, she would put, I know for a fact, a syrup of Epicac um, in my food and my drinks, um, to make me vomit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, because with chemotherapy, you throw you tend to, to vomit a lot. And, um, she also would, when I was sleeping at night, use, uh, thinning shears, um, to cut my hair so that when I would wake up and get in the shower, it would come out in big bunches. Um, and I never lost it completely. And supposedly that was because um, it was pill form chemotherapy, not real chemotherapy. And so, um, you know, when you're 11 years old, you don't question um, mm-hmm. your parents. It, it wasn't it wasn't something that I, I questioned. And she got our church very heavily involved. Um, and so everybody was involved and I just believed what what everybody told me. And I was told all the time, like continuously over and over, 
that I was just really, really sick. So I believed it and almost got this mentality of just this very sick little girl. Thank you so much for yeah. sharing. Uh, I can't imagine, so I won't, but I, you know, I, I imagine you being, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, you don't even find out until age 33. And I know that when people get cancer, childhood cancer, it defines them. You know, it really shapes them and how they see the world. What did that do for you as a, you know, as you got, became a high school student and a college age student? Yeah, let me add, let me throw one thing in that it was shortly, it was right before I turned 13 that um, I suppo supposedly had beat the cancer and, and was in remission. And it was about approximately about, um, I think it was about six months to a year later that my mom began doing it to herself as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so then I went from being sick to then watching my mom have cancer. Um, and she did it pretty extremely with herself. She stayed drunk um, um, almost all the time and slept and stayed in bed. She would shave her head and um, I mean, just in crazy things. And so it went from being a survivor into mourning the fact that then my mom had this same sickness that I had had. And that was, that was pretty traumatic for me um, to watch her go through that. And at the time, it really, uh, what I felt was that it helped me to connect to her. And like, we had this bond because we were cancer survivors. And that kind of began to create this um, false belief that I had around my mom. Um, and then it was shortly after her remission that my parents uh, got divorced and my mom became very um, promiscuous, very, she began drinking quite a bit. Um, she was out all the time. There was a lot of partying. There was um, just a lot of really dysfunctional things happening in our home. And um, so the reason that I bring all that up is because what I realized is even though, though all those terrible dysfunctional things were happening, I had these rose colored glasses on. Mm -hmm. um, I knew that my mom was mentally unstable in a lot of ways, but I didn't know the extent of what it was. And so when I was 33 years old and the truth was revealed to me, those rose colored glasses fell off um, and they crashed pretty hard to the floor. It, it was pretty eye-opening to me that uh, my whole life had just been um, not anything that I had expected. And there was so many lies and there was so many things. So it was pretty, it was pretty life changing experience. Yeah. You know, the, our kid, as a kid, like that foundation of who we think we are, and then to go through not just you, but your mom, something that's so traumatic and something that you would never wish on your worst enemy. And then to find out that it was all a lie. Mm -hmm. How do you start to trust again after finding all these things out? Well, I think the most important thing that I had to do was trust myself. Yeah. 
um, I had to start to really believe and trust me um, through all the things that we went, that I went through, not just me, but my siblings mm-hmm. um, in our childhood with this mentally unstable mother, there was a lot of times when we really couldn't believe or trust anything about ourselves or um, the things that she said. So before I could even begin to heal, I had to really start to listen to me and understand who I was as a woman and as a person. And even back when I was a young girl, like I really had to connect with that inner child and start to love and respect myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And that took a long time. I, I, I had to go through quite a bit of therapy and um, different counseling and, and coaches um, that I spoke to. And it wasn't until I really got in connection with who I am and really started to love me and accept me. It wasn't then that I could start to forgive her and understand who she was. Mm-hmm. Um, and during the time, the only thing that I could do at that moment when I found out the truth was completely remove her from the situation because to keep having her in that situation would have been continually damaging to me. And then possibly of course, to my own children. Yeah. Wow. You talk about reconnecting with your inner child and learning to trust yourself. That is radical self-love. It is. And, um, I had a guest on last week that talked about, um, her, your childhood trauma is your adult passion and purpose. Mm-hmm. And, um, I imagine it takes a pretty radical act to be able to love and trust yourself again, after mm-hmm. finding out that everything you believed about yourself was a lie. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it wasn't easy and it, it, it took me quite some time. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm not even going to say that I'm, that I'm a hundred percent. Nobody's ever, I think a hundred percent there. It's a continually growing process and learning and growing. We're never done growing. We're never done reaching, you know, that point where we think that we need to be. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it totally is the life-changing point for me is just really learning to love who I am. And um, yeah, and then um, when my mom died in 2016, I hadn't spoken or I hadn't physically seen her in 12 years. I had had some few communications, very small. I kept a lot of boundaries and during that time. And um, when she died, everything came back up. Um, The depression, which was really surprising to me because I thought I had really overcome and healed and all this stuff. And I was all this amazing, strong, you know, person and she died and it just, everything crashed again. And I got really, 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 really depressed. It was almost like I had to relearn it and go through that again of what life was like to not have her there. And even though she wasn't in my life, she still dictated so much. And once that was gone, um, there was a lot more healing that had to be done. Yeah. So just take me back. So you're 33. You've done a lot of things in your life. 
<laughs> right? You've uh, you've you've really lived life to the fullest, man. Talk about rewrite your story, which is my thing. You have not only had to rewrite your story to rewrite your childhood. Um, yeah. at the age of thirty three, as you get this information, where are you at in your your life path? What's um what job or what career? Where are you at there? Age 33 is what, yeah. what, well, I was a stay-at-home mom at that point. Mm -hmm. um, I was married and I had two very young kids, two cute, cutie little boys um, that are now adult men. <laughs> and um, so I stayed home and I uh, prior had worked part-time at a Curbs and was working in women's fitness and um, starting to discover that I got, that I really enjoyed that. And that I liked working with women. That's probably where I first started to realize that they, I was in charge of the weight loss program that curves offered. And so I got to, um, teach and, and, um, help women through the weight loss classes and the programs that they had. Um, so that was the, that, that was that. And then when I found out at age, when, well, when I found out the truth, um, I got really down and depressed and, um, my ex, excuse me, my husband at the time, um, he encouraged me to open my own fitness center. And so I took that on. Mm, wow. Um, that was kind of like my saving grace. It, it really pulled me out of sadness and depression and really gave me something to focus on and put my energy to. And I was able to really deeply connect with some women at that point. And, um, I really began to realize that this was something that I just absolutely loved is coaching and helping and, um, helping women to see their own love for themselves. And the thing is, is that I realize now looking back is, is that it's not all about weight loss. It's not all about, um, I mean, so many women have extra weight they want to lose. So many women have ex, um, you know, they, they want to get fit, whatever it is, they have all these goals that they want to reach. And what I realized now is, is back then I began to, to discover that where that starts at is here inside of our hearts and our self-love and respect for each, for ourselves. And when we can really tap into loving ourselves, um, then, and understanding what it is that we want and, um, discovering the power and the strength that we have inside of us, then that's when we can start reaching our goals. Mm -hmm. So that's when I, that time when I had that fitness center, I was able to do a lot of one-on-one -on -one fitness coaching. And I really started to, to realize where that strength comes from. Mm. And you had so much strength during that time. Um, after your mom died that you decided to do a bodybuilding competition, which I think is, is also super incredible. I just wanted to point that out. We'll get there. I know I jumped ahead, but I'm just like, just yeah, like no. amazing to me that, you know, and, and everything that's happening around you, um, you know, the, the phrase like, nevertheless, she persist, persisted is kind of like comes up for me. Um, here yeah. you are still, um, still being in service to others your whole yeah. life, um, yeah. despite knowing that, um, you know, that your mom isn't who she, she said she was. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, after owning this uh, woman's fitness center, um, my marriage began to fall apart. And that's why I went into owning a cleaning business and because it paid the bills. And um, I then left my ex-husband and took my kids and got out on my own and worked in my cleaning business to be able to support them. Um, and I was very lucky about a year later to meet this amazing man who is in my life today. And um, things were going really, really well for us. And we began, we moved in together after dating for four years. And that's when my mom died um, shortly after that. And that's when everything kind of started to fall apart um, for me. I really lost who I, a sense of who I was again at that point and began climbing back up, began regaining that strength. And this is what I like to call infinite power. This is why I've named my business infinite power, because deep inside of every single woman is this incredible strength. We have to listen sometimes. We have to really tap in, and but it's always there and it never goes away. And so I started listening to this little voice of, no, this is not going to defeat you. And, you know, I, I gained a lot of weight during this time. I, I put on about 40, maybe even 50 pounds and was really, really uncomfortable. And um, I remember him, This his name is Dean. Um, he says, well, let's go to the gym. You know, you're, you're so down and you're so upset. And, um, I'm just going right into this whole story if that's okay. Yeah, okay. of course you can. I do have a okay. question though, as you're starting to tell it is, you know, yeah. what for me is, as I think about like your mom dying, uh-huh. I am, what are those emotions that, you know, that came up for you that you hadn't quite worked through yet when she died? Well, I will explain this. Um, I was on my way to see her. Um, I was given the opportunity to go and see her before she died. And I chose to go on a family vacation instead. Um, and you. Yes, thank you. My family, um, my brother called me and said, I know you've been talking about wanting to see mom again. Now is your time. She's in the hospital, blah, blah, blah. She has all these illnesses. Come and see her. So I remember looking at Dean saying, okay, let's just go. I'm going to go. I mean, remember, I haven't seen her in 12 years. And I was in the car going over like in detail, like everything I was going to say and everything I was going to do. And then I got the call um, that she had passed and I didn't make it. So um, the first major emotion that I had was regret. Mm -hmm. Um, really deep regret of not um, mending it and closing the door, maybe not so much for her benefit, but for my benefit um, before she passed. Um, and um, the other thing was that I went and spent the weekend there with my family. And the next day after she had passed was actually Easter. And Easter was my mom's favorite um, holiday. And I went to the church that my mom went to. Um, and I started to discover that my mom had really started to change and redeem herself quite a bit. Um, she was involved in AA and she was a sponsor to a lot of women. 
young women around my age um, and my sister's age, she made it kind of her life mission to work with these women and um, help them in their recovery. And um, people in the church talked incredibly highly of her. Like, like I had people coming up to me and just like grabbing me and hugging me and telling me we will love and miss your mom forever. She was so amazing. And she sat by the church and she hugged everybody as they came in. And I remember standing there listening as if I was in a fog, like, who are you talking about? Like my mom was not that person. My mom was angry and mean to a lot of people. She was a liar and she was a manipulator. And so it was very hard for me to, to hear that. And I think what set in afterwards is um, I found a lot of letters from her that she had written. She had left them in her Bible and I'd found these letters and this was like 12 years worth of letters of her talking to me. And um, sometimes throughout this 12 years, she had sent some letters, but I never really read them. I usually just throw them away. Um, so I sat with my brother and I read these letters and I really tapped into who, what she was saying to me and, and how she was begging me for forgiveness and talking about why she did the things that she did. So I think with all that said, I think what really happened within me is just a lot of guilt and regret of not knowing, and I still even feel that emotion today, um, of not knowing that side of her. And it was almost as if she was that one for, for that time before she died, she was this amazing woman that I always wanted her to be mm. for me. Um, and I never got to see that in her. So it was really hard to grieve that and mourn that part. Yeah. And also attached with that is trust of myself and her. Um, because like I said a moment ago, she was a master manipulator. She, she truly could manipulate the pants and the shoes off of anybody. I'm not even kidding. And so in my mind, I had to kind of get to this, this part where it was okay that she was good. It was okay that she had, had been good. And I had to trust that she was because in my mind, I was like, well, what if she's just lying and manipulating, manipulating everybody again? Um, so there, there was a lot of healing. There yeah. was a lot of, a lot of, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Man. So, so your childhood story is a lie and then your mom dies. And then it feels like that story is a lie too, because here she is so loved and helping people. Yeah. And you know, the thing, the, the, the real honest truth of it is, is that there's probably stuff I still don't know. Sure. There's probably proofs um, about my mother that I will never know and understand. Um, but that stuff doesn't matter. Mm. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter anymore. Um, I've been able to put that down and to forgive her for all of that and to forgive and love myself for all of that. And um, so the good thing is, is that once I, I was able to do that, I finally have peace. Mm. 
and I don't need to know all of the truth anymore. All I need to know is, is that um, it wasn't about me. It was about her and the trauma that she had. And um, I'm also a very firm believer that everything happens for a reason. And part of the things that um, I have endured and gone through is to help me to become what I am meant to become and what I am becoming now. Yeah. And along with everything happens for a reason, sometimes the reason is that your mom's sick. Like she mm-hmm. was a sick person. Yeah. Yeah. I remember uh-huh. a therapist telling me, well, the reason that that happened is because no one put a lock on the door. And I was like, oh, that's a good point. <laughs> like, yes, it, it, it shaped me and led me to where I am. But sometimes the reason is, is, is the person. And yeah. Yeah. Talk about radical self-love. Not only are you radically loving yourself, but you're radically forgiving. And that forgiveness is such an infinite power. So to see all of your, your, you know, your, your business and what you're doing is, is um, it ties so nicely to, um, to what your experiences are and your ability to heal and to help others uh, achieve. So you're in this depression. I will tell you that I, um, I smoked cigarettes for a year when my mom died, wasn't a smoker before that. Um, and I drank a lot when my mom died after work, I would have a couple glasses of bourbon, maybe three or four. Usually my, I'm a two glass person. I don't even drink bourbon anymore, but, um, deaths of moms are hard and you have gained this weight and you have this amazing man in your life to support you. I had a bunch of shitty men in my life at the time. That's right. I had a bunch (laughs) and you started going to the gym. And yeah, tell me a little bit more about, you know, how you get out of this hole that your mom's created and buried you in. Well, the funny thing is, is when I look back at the time, this time as I had been to the gym many times, but this time something, something was triggered differently in me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, uh, like I said, had gained a lot of weight and I was kind of on the, the other side. So there's two sides of this gym. There's the big, huge weight room with all the free weights and the big muscle machines, right? And then there's the, the other machines that are kind of more like hydraulics and, and weight stacks and, and stuff like that. And I kind of stayed to that side because it was a little bit easier and I, it wasn't as intimidating. But I can remember being in this room and looking over at the other side and like tapping Dean on the, on the shoulder and saying, I need to get in there. Like, I need to understand what that is and how to lift like that. And he was like, why? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I have this desire to start tapping into that. Mm-hmm. And um, so I did, I just started, we, we started going over there and, and lifting. And the most amazing thing is, is one of my friends, she um, and I, I had not seen each other in a long time. And um, all of a sudden on Facebook, I started to see pictures of her um, losing weight and working out. And she was getting all cut and fit and her muscles were like popping out of her back while she was doing the, the weight machines. And I was like, oh my gosh, what is she doing? And I remembered from our conversations with her and how unhappy she had been in her body. And um, so it was so inspiring to me that she was actually doing something about it. So I started reaching out to her and to see that she was 
lifting weights, which is something that was becoming a bigger and bigger interest for me was really exciting. And so I did reach out to her and she started sharing with me, um, what she was doing. And she told me, she said, you need to go to this place and, and start talking to them. They are, they are bodybuilding fitness coaches and they will help you. And I, I had probably, um, 50 pounds to lose at that time before I could even get on stage. And, um, that didn't intimidate me. That didn't scare me. I just had this really strong passion and desire of change. And I think it was kind of like shedding. Um, when I look back at it now, it's like shedding the feelings and the emotions. Like this was a way for me to break free of all my past and all the, the negativity that I had carried and held for so long. And that story, it was like recarving myself. Mm-hmm. Is what it felt like. Yeah. And so for a year, um, I went on a pretty strict regimen and I worked out very, very heavily. And um, I lost um, close to 60 pounds. And um, my coaches, even though um, this is probably the most amazing part, is even though I didn't feel like I was quite ready to get on stage because it was my first year and I didn't look quite like everybody else, they wanted me to tell my story and they wanted me to get on stage and show what I had accomplished. Um, and so I did, I put on a very small, small, tiny bikini and I still had a little loose skin and, and some stretch marks and wrinkles around my tummy and on my arms. And, um, I wasn't as cut and built out as everybody else, but it was the most amazing experience of my life so far besides having children. Mm. Um, but it was all my nerves were gone. I got up there. Um, I did several poses. I, um, did a personalized routine to the song, um, fight song. You know, that song fight. This is my fight song. Oh yeah. I got divorced when that song came out. That song is my song too. (laughs) That's my, now my, like my theme song. Yeah. So I did this really amazing, powerful routine to that on stage. And then in the end, my coaches surprised me and they put up my before picture. I didn't know they were going to do this. And they had me come out and they awarded me this really amazing sword, which is a common award in bodybuilding it's a big deal if you can win a sword if you can be given a sword so they awarded me the sword and they they said that I was the biggest loser pretty much um I had lost and overcome the most and um yeah that was a very powerful incredible experience and that is probably where I started to really understand what my infinite power was really about and how strong I was as a woman And I also started to realize that if I had that in me, then so many other women do too. Yeah. Uh, For women listening, if you've never lifted weights, um, there's something so empowering about um, being able to lift heavy. And it's not even like lifting it over your head, like even a deadlifting weight where you're using that great booty and hamstrings and all those great muscles that we have to lift large amounts of weight. It's exciting. You could see you light up as you talked about lifting the weights and wanting to go over there. And it becomes, for me, I know it became less about 
um, losing weight, like the losing weight for me became a byproduct of just wanting to see the numbers go up on the, on the weight plates on my bar. Yes. Yes. Because it's almost like this belief that we have, like this limited belief that we have is, is, oh, I can't do that. I'm a girl. Or I can't do that because society says that muscles are not pretty on a woman. And so it, for me, it was like breaking through past that. Like, no, no, that's not true. I'm going to prove you wrong. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to lift and I'm going to become beautiful and strong and sexy. And, you know, that's what it was. And the stronger I got um, and the more I was able to lift, the stronger I got inside too. Yeah. Amazing story. And so you, you fast forward to today and you are an empowerment coach for women. You are walking radical self-love. You are walking infinite power. You have this incredible story. What is your superpower in all of this? You know, I really, I really think that my superpower is, is, a couple of different things. Um, number one, really being able to listen and connect and understand, listening, connecting and understanding what um, women have to say mm -hmm. and, um, and then connecting in the emotions and, and really having that deep connection and hearing what it is that they really want and then helping them to take the steps to achieving that what's your purpose mm. well my purpose is to speak my truth mm. but also um to help women speak theirs as well mm. you know I'm a teacher so I, I so believe in modeling and and mm -hmm. we empower others to speak their truth when we speak our own mm -hmm. thank you so much for bravely sharing what's a very painful story to tell. Um, so thank, thank you for that. And yeah. thank you for um, speaking your truth because people need to hear it. Mm. As we wrap up today, um, what's next for you? Well, I am taking some steps to start becoming a public speaker and um, going to be looking for venues where I can start sharing my story more. And also um, there's definitely a book in the works of my life. And um, it's probably going to be a book more about me and my mom. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's what's next. Very good. And continuing to build my coaching business. Yeah. Uh, where can people find you online and connect with you? I have a funnel page and that is at uh, infinitepowercoaching.biz. And you can go and learn more about my business there. And you can also connect um, with me personally and get on my calendar. I do offer 30 minute uh, coaching sessions as a gift so that we can um, get to know each other a little bit. So you can do that there. Um, another is that I have a Facebook group that you that can be joined and you can learn a lot about uh, my business and get a lot of tips um, around self-love and, and healthy eating and stuff like that. And that is uh, Body Positive Coaching for Women on Facebook. 
All right. And before we wrap up, I always give our guests the last word. You know, what is it that you want to share with all the women listening before, um, before we go today? I think the biggest thing is that no matter what it is that you feel, no matter how you see yourself in the mirror, no matter um, what your thoughts are on a daily basis about your body and your strength, I want you to remember that there is a strength and a power inside of you. 